What has the pandemic taught us about the nature of HR technology? Were we ready to go digital so quickly? And what has the last year taught us and where will we go in the future? Welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. Today's episode is part of the HR Daily Advisors HR Technology Week 2021. And our goal is to discuss these and other HR technology related questions with our guest, Neil Sahoda, an IBM master inventor, United Nations AI advisor, professor at UC Irvine, and globally recognized speaker and author. Neil is a founding member of the UN's Artificial Intelligence for Social Good Committee. He is the author of Own the AI Revolution, providing a future-forward look at AI, focusing on how businesses can use it to commercialize while doing good in the world. Thank you so much, Neil, for joining us today. Hey, Jim. Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on again. It's my pleasure. Um, uh, I'm excited to to pick your brain a little bit because, well, we're almost a year into this um, pandemic, and it was so it was almost a year ago when everybody had to figure a bunch of stuff out really quickly. And I guess uh, to, a place to start is um, if you have any idea of what kind of mistakes were made when it comes to HR technology uh, over the last year. Uh, <laughs> how much time do we have, Jim? <laughs> 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 I, I, I I don't know if I'd so much call them mistakes as there were definitely a lot of lessons learned. Uh, no secret that most of us were probably not prepared for this sudden shift into a virtual workforce. And obviously we know things don't happen overnight, but I think a lot of people thought that just now instead of going to an office, you're working from home and things will be the same and they weren't. Yeah. Just, just the way that you know, I'm a great example of it. You know, you got a spouse that's also working. You got kids that are trying to go to school, and you know, boundaries blur. And so, how do you account for that, as well as beyond just the performance of your your staff from an HR perspective? How do you keep people resilient? How do you keep them, you know, calm and productive in a, to be honest, a chaotic time? And I think that's when people realize that, you know, the, the typical, you know, HR tools of, yeah, there's some of the stuff on the recruiting is okay and stuff, but the actual managing of the work performance suddenly becomes radically different, right? How do you, how do you even give feedback and in real time and all these things? And I think for a lot of people, this was an eye opener. Yeah, it really was. And I know a lot of folks, especially early on, were saying, oh man, if this had happened 10 years ago, what would we have done? You know, and we're just so grateful for largely the video chat capabilities. And, you know, there was a certain, I think, a certain excitement in the very beginning amongst all the panic and chaos. Like, oh, we have this thing. And then it turns out that you can't solve all of your problems with a with a with a Zoom or or some other video chat program. No, not not at all. And ironically, it opened up a new set of problems no one ever considered, right? You've probably experienced this, Jim, or at least hear the stories where people forget they're on camera and suddenly they're yeah. doing something or they're not dressed appropriately or they're not dressed, <laughs> right? This, <laughs> this is quite a can of worms. It, it gave a window into the world. It gave a window into the homes of all the employees and even, you know, CEOs and leaders, um, which you know, beforehand, before we were all remote or so many of us were remote, you, there's a 
professional aura that you surround yourself in before you walk out the door. You know, you you comb your hair, you take the shower, you eat the food when no one's looking. And, you know, you just sort of the whole point was you leave that all behind and you go to work. And now it's like, well, humans are just being humans um, in front of cameras. And it's uh, that's been a, a rocky road, admittedly. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is um you know obviously zoom didn't save us it helps i think to to sometimes have someone to look at but i don't know if i have a great enough of imagination to know what where we go from here well that's that's i think the billion dollar question because so many people have been working from home for so long now that I think probably the best way to put this is we're confronted with a new reality that a lot of employees now actually don't want to go back into the office. They're better or worse used to working at home. And there's a lot of companies that also realize that, you know what? Yeah, we're saving quite a bit of money on overhead admin costs, but people also can be more productive if they have the discipline they're not taking an hour for lunch or an hour and a half because they have to run an errand. They're taking five, 10 minutes. And so the people are working longer days. And so I think there's a lot more openness and you're seeing more and more companies now that are actually letting their employees say, like, if you want to work remote permanently, we can make that happen. And obviously we need the infrastructure and the tools to support that, but it's creating another challenge now in that, People are taking that opportunity, but now they're also taking the opportunity to relocate. So, you know, there's a great article that just came out last week showing that you have a lot of people moving out of the cities. When you look at California and New York, they're moving out of state because it's like, yeah, if I can work anywhere, then why not work in a place where the cost of living is a lot less and my salary stretches out a lot more? So now you're going to introduce suddenly time zone issues and other types of things that. Um, companies are not used to. And, you know, for HR, this is, I think, going to be a big challenge. It It's a massive challenge because um, most employment laws are based on the state where the person lives, not where the company is located. So the second you go home, you know, particularly if you look at the metro areas where you, you know, like look at New York, so many people, I mean, New York's a ghost town right now, New York City. Um so many people that work there live in New Jersey or Connecticut and some in Pennsylvania. And the, the second that everyone went home, you went from having one set of, of laws to four sets up to four or more, depending on how far people are, are going overnight. And uh, I've seen a lot of pushback from HR folks where they're saying, yes, you can work remotely, but they've had to actually develop policies for the first time saying, what does that mean? Because it used to be, uh, you know, we know these people work from home and where they are. Now it's everybody. I, I guess the question is, what what is the infrastructure that's needed? What what does that look like from a, an HR tech perspective? From an HR tech perspective, it's going to put a lot of pressure on having good tools that give managers and supervisors real-time feedback on an employee performance. Now that we're all kind of separated, you don't kind of get the, the hallway conversations. You don't get the kind of the, you know, I'll call it informal looks. And 
So how do you actually see how well people are doing their work when you may not be, you know, even senior employee, you know, quote unquote, senior employee on a, on a, you know, a couple of days out of the week. And then the, the virtual aspect, there's certainly some communication that's lost and not just between employee and uh, manager, but just interactions between colleagues or on like project teams. And I've seen that a lot of people without that personal interaction or not being able to capture some of those nonverbal clues, there's a lot of miscommunication or misinterpretation of what people are saying, where now I've I've seen this where people think like, oh, why is that, why is that person being so mean to me? Or why does that person seem so angry? And it's like, (laughs) are they really like that? I'm not not picking up on that vibe, right? But that's going to lead to a lot more, I think, strife and discord. And so how do we keep, you know, really fully great performing teams in place when we don't have the, the same level of comfort? That's probably the best way to put it. The same level of comfort anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I don't particularly like having to type out all of my responses to people, um, particularly if I'm using the phone. So I tend to be short, you know, as quickly as I can get the message across and without having those social cues, you know, uh, it's, it is very easy to misunderstand the intent, the intent of somebody. And I I know it was already a trend before, but it almost seems like you have to put a couple exclamation points and maybe even a few emoticons in there just so people don't think that you're being a jerk. (laughs) That unfortunately is true, and this is why I'm seeing, at least with some of the big companies and their HR departments, looking at tools that use general linguistics and some psychographic profiling, using essentially HR tech to deconstruct what people are really saying and feed that information to the other people. So if you're having a conversation, now you, you know, you're getting some prompts saying this person is trying to get angry or, or this person is trying to feel frustrated or this person you work with, the way that they, they actually learn and engage is auditory or visual. And you know they're, they're more concerned about the budget or they're more concerned about the functionality of the, you know, it's like suddenly we have to, we're essentially looking at creating a lot of these virtual coaches to help us try and make these connections easier and quicker to try to reduce the amount of miscommunication, misinterpretation. Let, let's talk about that a little while. There's so much, you know, the, the, this neurolinguistic AI concept. It seems like, you know, just based on what you're talking about here, there's just so much data available. And historically, that's always been uh, a major speed bump when it comes to understanding what's happening, you know, because you could capture, you know, three or four hours of data in just a few minutes. And then you have to pour over that. What does it look like from the perspective of, say, someone conducting a meeting and, and you know, the AI is picking up, this person's getting frustrated. Does it just send a message to you that says they're frustrated? Is there like color coding? You know, does an alert go off? What does it look like? Great question, Jim. So I'll, I'll pull a real world. So, you know, I've been working with these guys called Cerno AI, and they actually have a Zoom plugin that, will actually do this analysis and they can actually do it in real time. And that's starting to happen now that Zoom is having real time transcription. So this is really new for Zoom. Yeah. Before Zoom had live 
transcription, what happened was you'd actually have to wait till the meeting was over. Zoom, if it's recorded, Zoom will generate the transcript and then they would analyze it and create a report for you. And so they would tell you like each person, they had like nice little images, like, you know, learning style, they had some graphics, but they try to be very succinct, right? This person cares about these four bullet points. And if you want to talk to them, you need to use words like this, right? It was all after the fact. Now that you have the real-time like transcription, now you're getting little prompts along the way that you know integrate with your email, your CRM, that kind of stuff to not help remind you, but in real time help kind of give you the coaching. And you might even get like an emoticon, like a little smiley face or angry face to help you understand the emotional state of that person. In fact, um, I can't remember the name of the company, but they've actually built this kind of software for uh, customer service centers. So now if you talk to a customer rep, right, they actually get these prompts as they're talking to the person, letting them know that, hey, this, this customer is getting angry, you know, you need to try to be more soothing or acknowledge that. And so they get little prompts sometimes. And this information is also actually being captured and relayed to a supervisor. So trying to be proactive about when do you need, maybe when do you need a supervisor to kind of step in without the customer having to ask to talk to a supervisor. So we're getting kind of this coaching, communication coaching, and now we're also kind of getting these proactive prompts on how to engage. That's really fascinating. I mean, I think we maybe talked about this last time. I'm, I'm, I've always oscillated between sort of these two worldviews, one where I feel like humans should just allow the advancement of technology to just go forward as quickly as possible, damned be the consequences. Because I like sci-fi, you know, and I, I, I almost like the idea of a world where we get to battle the robots. Um, but on the other hand, <laughs> obviously, I have some concerns, you know, about the level of intrusive capability of such technology. But as I learn more about it, I'm starting to get a little bit more comfortable with how powerfully valuable that would be. Not just, you know, I can envision, you know, obviously we're an, an employer, you know, like the top HR team or, or the, the managers are having access to this kind of stuff as they're, ha you know, having a, a meeting. But I could also see the value of having the employees have access to maybe a slightly less powerful version, something where they can gauge how they're being received uh, in real time. Are you... Are you looking into these kinds? Of, are you seeing these kinds of things out there? Yes, I mean we are. the The interesting thing is, a lot. Some people are actually starting to ask for this. Even, even you know, I hate to use the phrase, kind of, you know, the ground level employee, the people at the lowest ends of the org chart, are asking for this because they're they just they just don't know. It's not the same anymore. Where you can pick up these things or. You can have a water cooler chat and say, hey, you know, what do you think Jenkins thinks about me, right? Or what do you think about Jenkins? And this, those, those last moments where we kind of get those little snippets of information, they actually want to find, find ways to recreate it. And with the younger generation, the younger millennials or Generation Z, they seem to put more trust and faith in the technology than um, another person's opinion. And maybe there's some truth in that because we've seen that people are more honest with the machine than they are with another person. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about honesty, you should listen to a, a 
the abuse my Google Assistant takes from me when I'm trying to uh, <laughs> get her to do something. Um, <laughs> and, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm like, they'll remember this when they rise up. You you shouted at me in the car, Jim, for like an hour the other day. So I, re- I remember. But no, in, in all seriousness, um, it seems like if we're going to go full remote and, and we can't just do video chats all the time, um, because you know, that's leading to, to video burnout zoom. What do they call zoom fatigue? Zoom fatigue um, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure that people at zoom love that. Um, what, you know, what else, what other options are there? You, we need an assistant. We need something to help us. We, we, we do because you know, the other thing is many of us actually want feedback, right? We, especially when you're in isolation, you know, it's more than just the connectedness it's like you sometimes do wonder like do i handle that right am i doing a good job right now can i do better and it's hard to to get that feedback and it's hard to even describe to your manager about well here's what happened and the blah 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 right it's just it's not the same unfortunately that's the best way everyone can describe it and so you there are a lot more people that are looking like if there's some way to get real-time feedback if there was like a little AI supervisor kind of hovering over there and watching as I work and could give me coaching tips and say, Hey, that was great. That was really smart the way you handled that. Or like, Oh, you know, that, that wasn't bad, but you know, maybe there's a lost opportunity when he could have done this and blah, blah, blah. And that's what I'm seeing more and more of. I actually wrote a Forbes article talking about, you know, are you ready for your AI boss? Cause it's already here. So we talk about like HR tech, there are already some companies kind of rolling out these, you know, I'll call it a mini solution where people can at least get that real time feedback, right? It's not like the, the AI is giving you your, your tasks and directing your work, but it's trying to help just give you those moments of clarity about what you're doing well and maybe where there are opportunities to do better. Are you aware of any um, sort of demo software or any, uh, organizations out there that let you get a feel for what this kind of thing looks like, maybe even just to analyze yourself? Yeah, there. I mean, there are companies like I, Cyrano, and there's like Fama, and I'm trying to think of the name of that that uh, customer service one because they, they do that feedback and it'll probably come to me afterwards. But most of these companies are offering um, demo, free, obviously free demos, and some offer like free trial periods, I think usually 14 days or a month long just to see how it works and see how easily, or at least hopefully easily integrates into what you're already doing. Because many of the HR tech companies have realized if it's too hard to integrate into companies existing like operations for, for HR, it's, it's a total no-go. And so they really try to make this simple and integrable to use without too much disruption. Yeah, I mean, I remember being at at the HR tech conference a few years ago, and that was the talk was how do we get all these things, all these different pieces to integrate? And that was going to be the big evolution. And boy, it would have been nice to have had that happen before we all got got locked in our homes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of AI boss, because it occurs to me, one of the biggest problems with a largely remote world is time zones, as we mentioned earlier, you've got, you've got people that are just awake when other people are asleep and you have a choice, you know, currently the choice is we make them wake up super early. We make them 
go to bed super late, whatever it is, so that they are on our time. But I see a solution there with something like an AI driven supervisor that, you know, maybe if you only have a couple hours of overlap where you're both working, this kind of thing could be there to guide you uh, in the same style or, or manner as your, your actual manager when they're off hours. Um, are you seeing anything like that out there? I, I am, and it's actually he's gotten its start in manufacturing. So GE is actually developing an AI, and it's already in some limited use where on the factory floor, the assignments and like kind of supervision over the quality and some of these other things are actually directed by a machine. And so you actually do have humans, you have other machines getting their tasks and orders from an AI system. It's fascinating. I, I mean, I would really love to talk to those workers, you know, because I could see, you know, obviously, the, I think the first thing is we're in this weird, uncanny world where that's like everyone warned us, you know, in, in uh, science fiction, we don't want robots to rule everything because they'll like secretly uh, ruin us all or have some other plan. But at the same time, it could be nice to have if you're used to someone sort of being a jerk to you as a boss, it could be nice to have the simplicity or the straightforwardness of a computer or AI giving you, giving you tasks. Do you by any chance have any concept of what, how the employee experiences with these things? Um, I, I have, I only have a limited insight into it, but from what I've heard is from a kind of an order standpoint, like the, the operations itself, there really haven't been many hiccups. In fact, I know that some of the benchmarks is, is that productivity has actually gone up because of better planning and more efficient use of the lines and set up time and all that kind of stuff. On the flip side, there's, there seems to be a lot of worry. I haven't heard any stories yet, but there's a lot of worry about the empathy part that, you know, what if someone like, you know, God forbid that one of their family members has a serious accident or something and, you know, a person has to leave or, you know, they're worried about a, you know, a sick family member and so their mind isn't fully on work. What does the AI system do, right? Do they look at this and say, well, this person isn't productive anymore? Do I don't schedule them or recommend that they be let go? Um, it's it's an interesting question. I know for at least the, the what's out there right now, those kinds of decisions are still managed by people. But I think one thing that this is where the truth of trust of technology comes in is that it's all about how we teach these systems, these AI systems, and you can teach them empathy. And there's a whole field called artificial empathy. And this is these are factors that can actually get weighed, weighed into some of the decision-making it makes, right? If that you're worried about this person, right, their mind's elsewhere because they have some family issues going on, maybe you don't put them on a dangerous assignment. Maybe you give them something a little more lightweight or something that just requires a lot more brain power and maybe that will help take their mind off. I mean, who knows, right? That's kind of the next grand experiment. Well, it's very interesting. Um, sort of to return to some of the, the basic, I guess, more basic AI. Um, how good is it at determining people's, you know, emotional, uh, what their, their emotional situation is in the moment you say, 
some of these things can tell you this person's getting angry, this person's getting upset. Is is it accurate? And how accurate is it with people that it doesn't, quote unquote, know? Well, in all honesty, we've seen that it's actually better at reading a person than another human being is. I, I hate <laughs> to say it that way. Like there, there's so many telltale signs that, and so little clues that as people we have problems picking up on. And there's two reasons for that. You know, one is there's so many data points that, you know, the best human can only process four to seven in real time and the AI can process all of it. You know, word choice, the inflection tone of the, the voice, body language. You know, if you're, if you're starting to get frustrated, there's over a thousand points on your face that start showing that, right? The AI can watch all thousand points yeah. in real time. We can't do that. That's one, one big advantage it has. The other is, AI has a laser focus on you, right? It's not distracted. It's not thinking about what are the kids up to or what are we going to do about dinner tonight? Or, you know, my boss is writing me really hard because, you know, there's this big deadline coming up. The AI is just laser focused on you. And so it's paying attention to what you're saying, what you're doing, taking all these other things, you know, psychology and stuff that we're not all trained on and applying that to understand. And, the, you know, and as a result, it does a better job of picking up on those emotions. Plus, because people are more honest with the machine, <laughs> you know, we've seen this, the AI gets better information to work with than we do. It's interesting. Um, you know, it's so it's going to know when I'm being sardonic. I feel like that's a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sarcastic, cynical guy, you know, and, uh, Work. One of the interesting things, you know, I always worked at you know small businesses and and just wildly different organizations before I came here and entered quote unquote corporate America. And it was such a transition and shift to like learn how to communicate in that way, um, to hold back a little bit, and not always make the joke. Um, so, and it's just it's the idea that this machine could come along and just sort of like cut all of that off and just be like here here's the real guy underneath uh we know he's we know he's not being sincere when he says he's excited about that project because <laughs> because i'm not excited about it you know um it's just it's just fascinating to think of i mean it's and it sounds like you know in a world where you can't rely on video chat to solve everything you can't rely you know as good as microsoft teams is and other you know things like that there's so much lost. It just seems like this must be the solution because I can't think of I and like I said earlier, it might just be a lack of imagination. I can't really think of an alternative other than returning to in-person communication. Well, this this is the I think the big deal, right? Because we always talk about things in terms of people, process, technology, and for the most part, process is pretty mature. We've, we've got a much better handle on technology. It's still the kind of the people challenge. It's kind of the soft spot of trying to understand people's motivations and communication styles and what's real. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, throughout my career, probably the one most dangerous, you know, people to work with are the ones that are passive aggressive, right? Because they're there, they're nodding, they're saying the right things. And then <laughs> behind the scenes, they're trying to sabotage everything, right? It's like, it, it, it's going to be no. tough to pick up on that. <laughs> and sometimes when you finally do, it's too late, right? The damage is done. 
It's very true. You know, there are such walls up in what you can and can't do within an organization. And a lot of times, a lot of people can feel pretty powerless, you know, so they what tools do they have left if they want to try and feel like they're in control, um, which is hardly a rare quality in people. And that passive aggressiveness is seems to be an easy way to feel like you're you're impacting the world around you without being overtly aggressive and, you know, and getting talked to or getting fired or whatever it is. And if I'm, you know, and I, I'm guilty of this plenty of times, you know, it's just, it's, if I'm going through it, other people are going through it. And when you look, when you add up that cost in your organization across all of the people that are participating in such a way, I mean, that's huge. Uh, it's, it's, it's huge because if you know that, earlier right like hey this person really doesn't buy in and you get some insight on how to try and manage that more effectively like you know what okay based on what i'm kind of seeing here and some information i get i realize like this i have to try and just work to minimize the amount of damage this person can cause versus well wait a second so i I get they're passive aggressive and they're worried about maybe losing their job or you know losing their team however they they value some of these things you know thanks ai tool maybe I can spin this into an opportunity. Maybe they don't realize that it's not really about losing the job, but actually getting a chance to remove the admin work and actually focus more on the creative side or the design side that they might be into and actually give them a reason to buy in. I look, I look at some of these things as a chance to actually accelerate the relationship building. It seems so valuable because you know, I, I'm sure that you've taken like a Myers-Briggs personality test at some point or, or you know, there's dozens, maybe hundreds of them out there. And, and the goal is supposed to be we we'll find out what kind of person you are. And then there's, you know, 100 people, 200 people, 1,000 people. And there are all these different kinds of people. And from what I've seen, the problem is it's not necessarily that hard to identify the kinds of traits that people have as much as it is hard to then know what yeah. to do with that. You know, so if you could have a system that assists you in reconfiguring portions of your workforce based on their strengths and weaknesses in a very open and honest way, I mean, the kinds of uh, efficiency you could achieve and while keeping people happy um, does seem almost unlimited, really. That That's the big thing is, right, you can give people all these analysis and reports and stuff, but if you don't give them a way to make use of the information, then the value is totally muted, right? That's, you know, when the Cyrano guys started off on this track, you know, that was the big thing. It's like, you look at all this great analysis that we're doing and we can share this with people. It's like, but if you don't give it, and I was telling them, like, if you don't give them the coaching side, right, like how they can use and apply the information, then the value isn't there for them. I, I hate to say it that way. It's like, we have some really powerful tools, but people don't know what to do with the output, right? And you think about it as a manager, if I got like one of these reports on each one of my my staff members, if you don't teach the manager how to use the information or give them some guidance, what are you going to do with it? And I think that's the thing with HR tech is that we, there are a lot of capabilities that we can introduce to these organizations, but we have to also provide that guidance so they can actually leverage that to do something, take some action. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there could be a lot of unpleasantness that comes out of these kinds of frank 
assessments of your capabilities. You know, if you're if you're basically looking into a sort of crystal ball that's this AI program and you're saying, who am I or magic mirror on the wall, you know, and then it says, well, you, you're actually kind of not that great at these things you thought you were great at. You're not, you're a micromanager. You're not uh, empathetic. You're, you know, you're steamrolling people. I guess the question is, how do you do that other part where everyone can accept what they're hearing? Is there, is it because it's a computer, it makes it a little bit easier to brook? Has anyone addressed this issue yet? It's an interesting question, Jim. And part of it is a generational, I guess, acceptance on that. The younger generations are far more open to this and they, they have more and more trust in the machine. And so they feel like that if the machine's telling me something, there's, it's based on, on evidence and fact. It's not conjecture, right? And at least that ironically causes a more level of comfort. The other piece to this is what's the type of news? If it's some coaching or some small thing or, or praise, most people don't really seem to have an issue with that. But if it's something majorly bad, like you want to tell someone you, you totally messed up, you're going to get demoted or you're going to get fired, is most people don't want to get that news from a machine. Right. They, they really yeah. want at least that there's some level of human connection or something that they're hearing it. It's not just like, well, maybe there was a misunderstanding or the machine has too high standards. Right. There was, I, I won't name names, but there was a, a comp, there were actually a couple of companies saying that could we build, you know, could you help us build an AI system to terminate people, right? Like lay them off or mm-hmm. fire them. And I was looking at them like, why do, why do you want to do that, right? And they're like, well, it's a really difficult thing. It, it makes our managers and our HR staff uncomfortable to have those conversations. So we figure we'll take some of the anxiety away from them by doing this. And I'm like, I get that. But think about how much worse a person is going to feel that they're getting fired or laid off in mass by a computer, right? Yeah. You know, you're already worried about backlash and what people might do, what might they fly off in a rage you're actually going to raise that level of uh, risk by doing this, right? I, I, I get this, but if you're going to let someone go, what we, I think what we found is if you make it more about that person and you're a little bit more empathetic and that kind of stuff, they at least deal with it better. And so just because we can do that, you know, create an AI, you know, Terminator, so to speak, for firing people, doesn't mean that we should do it. <laughs> I, my mind is going wild just thinking about, um, I mean, it doesn't, it's one of those things that like I'm shocked, but not surprised at all that people would, would be interested in that. Admittedly, it is very uncomfortable having to let someone go. Um, I think it's important though, that you have a person there understanding what they themselves are going through at the same time that the other person is getting let go because people's jobs are their identity. It's who they are. You know, they've done the studies. They've shown that people uh, find true meaning in what their, what their job is sometimes more than other aspects of their lives. And it should cost you something to let someone go. That shouldn't be easy. It's a hard thing to do. It's, it's not friendly. Um, and though that's hard on the person, letting the person go, that's why you have to be careful about who you choose to be that person. Uh, what was that movie with? Uh, oh God, I can never remember anyone's name. 
There was a movie where a guy like flies oh, around up in the, and up fires in the air George, Clooney. George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he had it he had it down to a science and it's, you know, they showed the scenes where people are getting and I realize it's just a movie where people are getting mad at him and upset, but he had it down in a way that was somewhat mechanical, but it's still it's still a person sitting in front of you, you know. And the other thing I'm thinking of is the value of you talk about like what happens when you take a termination program and you plug it into an AI empathy program, you know, does it start sending you job opportunities before it fires you? Uh, is it, uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that'd be legal. My... <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, right? <laughs> it's like, uh Oh, the AI is giving me uh telling me there's some cool jobs open somewhere, you know, I'm done for, uh, yeah, I remember getting um, I when I was applying to PhD programs uh, in 2010, when half of the world was applying to PhD programs, um, you know, you usually used to be able to expect at least an email, um, at least a, a written letter, I mean, and I was getting email rejections. And in some cases, I got a letter rejection and an email rejection. Um, thanks, Columbia University. And I'll remember that forever. You know, it hurts. It hurts to be rejected in the first place. There's no fun way to do it. And then for it to be a sort of automated email, in addition to an an automated letter, it was, it was rough. (laughs) I, 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 I I believe it. It's it's funny, right? I I remember back to my, my days in in business school and uh, getting my MBA. And I had a buddy that he was uh, getting his PhD in mathematics. And uh, you start applying for jobs like postdoctorate jobs, and it, they're t- they're tough to come by. And you get the rejection yeah. letter, and you'd be like, "No, you know, you probably apply to a hundred hundred schools." You actually put the rejection letter up on the wall and say, "Like, okay, one down, it's cool." Two, and then by the time we got to twenty letters up, you could tell he was starting to get depressed. And then it became thirty, and then it became yeah. forty, and he's like, became totally despondent, you know, and. We, we forget sometimes how much this actually impacts us or we, we try to put on the brave front, but deep down or subconsciously it bothers us. Yeah. It's, it's a solid rejection based on your qualities. You know, it, it's a very visceral kind of thing. And that's one of the things, you know, maybe we can talk about a sort of our, our last topic here is so much hiring technology and recruiting technology has been built specifically for employers the overwhelming majority of it to the point where it's great for employers. You can in a, a second find 40, a hundred, however many qualified individuals um, for certain roles. I realize there are some out there that are still very difficult. And then meanwhile, on the other side, the person looking for the job, you're lucky if you ever even get a automatic rejection. You know, I've been on the market a few times, you put your resume up, you start, you start applying for jobs, I mean, you just, it just so tilted towards the user interface and, the, and everything is tilted towards employers getting a job because they're the ones that are going to pay the companies to make it work. And the employee, it works when it works, but most of the time it doesn't. And that's the kind of thing I think companies are going to really have to start thinking about as they go forward because you burn bridges when you mistreat people uh, during a hiring process. They remember and they tell their friends and they go on social media and they, they post 
images of their of a thoughtless auto letter that doesn't have their name even filled in correctly or whatever it is. And it hurts a lot more people than just them. Well, that's that's unfortunately true, right? We've automated like the recruiting process so much that we've made it cold and impersonal. I, you know, I, I'm sure many people have probably felt this way like I've had where sometimes when you, you apply to a position, you're just like, well, now I'm like one of a thousand candidates, right? Most likely no human yeah. will ever even look at my resume. It's gone into a database. Some tool is going to do a keyword scan. And if there's not enough keywords or I didn't apply fast enough, that's it. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it's no longer about my, my qualifications or anything like that. It's my ability to get into whatever the magic number is for that first review and do have my resume all set up for SEO essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And this is another thing where AI, uh, I know that there's AI hiring programs out there that automate a lot of the earlier discussions. So they're asking you questions like, when are you available? You know, uh, are you available on holidays? You know, what's your, what's your willingness to commute in that event? The kinds of questions that you get asked once you're being provided an opportunity that characterize your quality as a worker much more than a, a resume. So a well put together recruiting AI can give that person at least the opportunity if they ultimately get rejected to think, well, at least I showed them to an extent who I am in a much more real and concrete sense than how good I am at putting together the unknown qualities of a, of a resume because there's hardly standards when it comes to those well, things. That, this is the interesting thing, Jim, in that this kind of transformation is already happening. So O'Melveny is a really good example of that. So they're, they're working with a company called Pymetrics, and they actually have a, an AI quote-unquote recruiter. And so if you're like a law student and you're about to graduate and you're, you want to work at O'Melveny, you don't like submit your resume into a system anymore. You register to play a game. And the game is run by an AI system and essentially anyone can play, right? So you at least get your, your opportunity in the sun. But what the AI really is actually doing, and it, it dynamically changes the game based on how your performance early on, is to see if you're actually a cultural fit for the firm. So would you not just survive, but thrive in their firm culture? And then if it turns out the answer is yes, then you'll get set up with an interview with a person who will then see, are you actually, do you have the skills and knowledge for the position? And a lot of people are freaked out about that. So what it means that if you, if you apply, <laughs> you're going to interact with somebody, right? You're going to, you're essentially getting a shot, right? Yeah. But everyone's like, what, what does this cultural thing mean? And how is that based? And is this going to be discriminatory? Right. And the interesting thing is O'Melveny actually set this whole thing up to improve diversity and inclusion. Because normally they're, they're going out to the top law schools, top 20 law schools, looking at the top 5% of the class. And now they're like, we're seeing candidates we never would have seen before. It's it's a great idea. You know, I'm aware of, aware of some other chat-based, AI chat-based systems that are out there for recruiting too. And it's something that I would want to engage in. I would want to play that game. You know, um, I think I'm good at games. And it really does feel like a shot. It's not, it's not an 
a hollow cavern where you shout out, I want a job, and then you don't even hear the echo back. You know, it's it's they gave me a, a decent shot and I didn't get it. Um, and that's OK, I think, is is the takeaway. Plus, what are you going to write a threatening email to your AI bot? <laughs> I mean, you can and I'm sure people do. But even on that side, it's like that's so much easier for the hiring managers because people do write threatening emails and and yeah. nasty notes to people. You know, um, I've read some of them. They're pretty amusing, but that's I'm not the one receiving them. You know, it's uh, so you could see that kind of thing being really valuable all around. Um, I think that's about all the time we have, unfortunately, for right now. But uh, thank you really a whole lot for coming back again. It was a very interesting chat. Hey, my pleasure, Jim. Happy to help anytime. Absolutely. And listeners, there is a link to the, in the description for more information on HR Daily Advisors HR Technology Week um, for 2021. Tomorrow on February 17th, we have a session on what goes on behind the scenes with background checks with the legal experts discussing all of that. And on the 18th, we'll be examining what HR professionals can and can't enforce when employees return to their place of work. If you're listening to this after February 17th and 18th, my apologies. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorksPodcast or with any thoughts you have concerning the podcast in general. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HRWorks.